0: Welcome to the Caribbean Foreign Affairs Podcast, Diplomatically Speaking. I'm Dr. Janine Brown-Metzger, former Jamaican Consul General and your host. Join me for candid conversations with leaders on the front line of US and Caribbean affairs about bilateral relations, US-Asia geopolitical tensions over the region, foreign trade, and why the US should deepen its relationship with the Caribbean in the post-pandemic era. We will also discuss fresh ideas coming from the region for new and diverse economic opportunities and innovative ventures, and what could be a paradigm shift in Caribbean economic strategy. Great to be back with you for another episode of Diplomatically Speaking to talk about cultural diplomacy. Uh, We're talking about the utilization of the exchange of ideas, values, traditions, and other aspects of culture to strengthen relations and promote sociocultural cooperation and nation's interests. All right, we've said that. Since this is a show about international relations, I've invited none other than the Caribbean-owned Cindy Briggs, a superstar, cultural exemplar, and entrepreneur to talk with me. Cindy is a Jamaican jazz singer. Wow, she says. Cindy is a Jamaican jazz singer and musician, proudly known by the Caribbean family as Miss World 1976. I believe she was the second Caribbean person to ever hold that title certainly the second Jamaican. to The second Jamaican, yes. That's right, okay. She is the mother of reggae musician Damien Marley, a love child with she and Bob, youngest son of the music icon Bob Marley, and she continues to be involved in promoting Caribbean culture and instilling in youth the importance of believing in themselves. Cindy, I'm really delighted you're joining me for this conversation.
1: Well, I'm equally delighted, especially now that we are sort of, quarantined and and locked in and locked down, it is really, really nice to be able to make contact with someone such as yourself, who is from an area that has been so very troubled by this dreadful pandemic that's sweeping the world. Absolutely, and I, I uh, feel like I want to interview you,
0: Genevieve. <laughs> <laughs> no, Cindy, you are the one on the hot seat today, my dear. You are girl, the one I'm with thrilling you. stories. Talking oh, about that, how are you and your fam- family managing?
1: You know, we're all good. I can't complain, really. Um, my mom is alive at eighty-nine, and so she Lord really self-quarantined from very, very early. Mm-hmm. My husband is also older at seventy-eight, so. We've all been laying low. I've been keeping kind of busy because I must confess that I was beginning to feel a little bit of cabin fever. But yeah, you, do yeah. with, you do it with a degree of caution, of course. That's right. Um, the fun of it for me has been making sure I have different masks to go with the various oh, <laughs> outfits. <laughs> so now masks your- for you have
0: become a fashion statement. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> That's
1: because you, you can't have on no leopard print outfit and pur- put on a purple and green mask. That's just not going to cut it in my world. I would expect
0: so. nothing less than, you know, from a exactly. supermodel like yourself. But it exactly. seems as though, as you said, so. that this experience is having a pro- profound impact on a lot of people, uh, you know, for some in small ways, for others in, in, in pretty significant ways. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Somewhere in the middle? Well, way-
1: Somewhere in the middle, I guess, Genevieve, but I think my heart goes out greatly to people at, at the end of the financial spect- spectrum who, you know, like here in Jamaica, in St. Catherine and St. Mary, where they've been on the total lockdown for two weeks at a time. I mean, you know, people's liquidity is, is if it's 48 hours, you're lucky. Right. If, they if they don't go to work today, there is no money to stop at the corner shop right. on the way home and buy the pound of rice, the pound of flour, the tin of mackerel and $50 of oil, which right. is $300 right there. And that is going to feed everybody. You know, well, we have serious poverty in this country, as you do in many But when people lose their jobs and are quarantined in a very restricted area, it puts their lives under severe, severe pressure. Absolutely. And out of that comes a lot of other things. comes fear and anger and anxiety and a lot of emotions that, that are very hard for the authorities to cope with and for people themselves to live with
0: that's right well this is why i wanted to talk with you because i know that um you know with all your successes cindy uh you have really maintained a heart for uh, for the people and what's very interesting and i want to get into it today about your personal life life is that you were not born in jamaica you were you're a canadian no. yes, <laughs> you I came was, to jamaica at the age of four i did
1: my my father is jamaican and all his family were here but he went to canada to study textiles, and that's where he met my mom. Um, that damn Cuban, her father used to call him. <laughs>
0: yeah. Because
1: I think Cuba was, being the largest island in, in the Caribbean, was the one that everybody knew about. And so they met and married and then moved back here to live. And so I ended up living here my entire life. And, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until just a few years back I realized that I used to go around and tell people, well, I'm a Jamaican, a Zaki, and saltfish. fish. Overlooking, of course, that the codfish come from Canada.
0: <laughs> exactly right. Yes. And that's you. That's exactly yeah, perfect analogy.
1: It is the perfect marriage of the yeah, two yeah. things. But, but yeah, I am very Jamaican in, in every way. My thinking and my attitudes. And it, it is where I feel most spiritually grounded. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. even though I have seen the world from Australia to Nigeria to Kenya to Iceland to Venezuela, I really have. Put foot basically on all seven continents. Jamaica is, is where it feels like home. Nowhere mm-hmm. else has ever felt as much like home.
0: Right, right. And you have had a choice to live wherever you wanted to yes, live. So the fact I that have, you live in Jamaica I is strong. Have, yeah. So I, I have, want to talk a little bit more about, about your early life in Jamaica. So you mm-hmm. came to Jamaica when you were four. Where did you go to high school? What, what was life like for you as a teenager?
1: I went to Immaculate Conception High School at the age of seven as a boarder. And that was, you know, in those days, it was quite an experience because the convent itself really was run basically by nuns and priests. And it was extremely strict. I mean, in those days, you really didn't see any part of the nuns aside from their hands and their faces because they still wore a wimple in those days, right. which was the this, this sort of boxy um, part of the habit that sits right. on the head. And, and, and then the the face. all you saw was the little round face and the mm-hmm. two hands. And at seven years old, all of that was really foreboding. And I mean, the, the Constant Spring, what it was, hotel back in the day, which had become the convent was an enormous building with very high ceilings a very majestic old building with very grand wide staircases and you know it really could feel very overwhelming to a small child so that was that was quite an experience i mean it it was a wonderful education and you had students from all over the caribbean and from south america They, they Higher regions, especially the Venezuela, the Colombia, the Mexico, those areas there, Mm -hmm. sort of in in the central, you know, American region. Um, and I've said many, many times, any discipline I have in life
0: today, that is where I got it. Come from that. Well, let me remind our audience of course, you are ageless and you are timeless. And I would ask our audience to check you out online. You are absolutely stunning. We were talking about growing up in the 60s. What were your parents' aspirations for you? I don't know. You really don't know?
1: (laughs) How about just stay out of trouble? (laughs) (laughs) That will have to do.
0: That will have to do.
1: Well, I was a very, what we call force right, teenager and um, extremely rebellious. And um, determined to do things my way and, and my small cadre of, of friends, who some of which are our friends to this day. One of which was Errol Flynn's daughter, God rest her soul, Arnella mm-hmm. Flynn. It was a small group of us. And uh, I suppose we really did test the very patients right up to poor system or in care.
0: Let's and just it, interrupt you uh, for one second just to tell Laura. the audience about the Flynn we're talking about as in the um Flynn of the American actor the American yes. actor Flynn yes. of of uh the old black and white Tarzan yes. movies
1: right yes Hollywood icon Errol Flynn of course
0: right. who who by the way uh married a Jamaican and lived there for much of his life
1: yes All right. well Sorry, his, his wife his wife when he died though Patrice Waymore Flynn who's not she's American Right. But um, there are places in Port Antonia that are named after him and so forth. They're Flynn Marina and all that sort of thing. Right, right. So, all right, back to your know, story. Yes, we gave, we gave a lot of trouble. We gave a lot of trouble. And well, um, I ended up at secretarial school, Duff's Business College. I always loved the arts. I was always an artistically inclined right person could draw and paint and loved doing that more than anything else. Right. You're very much an artist. Absolutely. Yes. It's no surprise that I've ended up in interior decor and design over the last um, nearly 40 years. And that's not something I ever studied. It just came intuitively. I I just, yeah, had an eye for it. Well, as an artist
0: um, and an iconic voice for women, certainly, you know, women in the Caribbean, what do you think uh, is keeping Jamaican women up at night right now?
1: Uh, the lack of funds to feed mm-hmm. children. You know, a lot, of, a lot of homes now have terminated their domestic staff from coming into work because they're afraid, of course, you're going back to your communities every day, mixing with people there. You don't know who is positive from who is not. And some of them have underlying conditions predispositions and you just can't have people coming from large communities into your homes every day Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so those who have means and who can have continued to pay their staff to whatever they could but a lot of people are out of work and the question is how are they going to manage right so you will see That our dear First Lady, Juliet Wholeness, God bless her soul, is out there in the communities. It's on Instagram every other day, Mm -hmm. handing out care packages and trying to keep people going as much as is possible. But at the same time, we have to remember that we're a poor third world country. There's a limit to our resources. And I'm sure we have already overspent that.
0: Well, you know, you are, you are absolutely right. And we're going to be dealing with that, certainly, on Diplomatically Speaking. The fact of the matter is, you know this, uh, just so our audience knows, most of our economies are built on tourism. And yes. uh, 80% of the tourism industry has been decimated in the last two months, which is the high season for tourism in the Caribbean. So absolutely. there are opportunities. That's the bad news. But there is good news, and that's for another show. But you're absolutely right. People are hurting, and there is a lot of uncertainty.
1: Yes. And that's the other thing. I mean, you know, there's a lot of videos circulating these days, a lot of his nonsense and jokes and what have Mm. you. But there was one in particular that comes to mind of a young man saying, don't think for one minute because you have not been diagnosed positive with COVID-19, that it's not affecting you. Mm-hmm. the emotional and psychological effects that the changes that the entire world is going through is having very deep mm-hmm. and far reaching effects on everybody mm-hmm. the depression and the anxiety and the sleepless nights those things in particular are impacting
0: on people even though they don't have
1: covid right, right. It well, comes you know this along is a, the
0: territory. this is you're absolutely right this is a time when we need relief And uh, relief can come in terms of music and culture, which is why I thought it was so important to be talking about cultural diplomacy. Talking about cultural diplomacy, perhaps no other person has done more in the last half a century to introduce the Caribbean to the world than Bob Marley, somebody you know very well. You are the mother of his uh, youngest son. Absolutely. Um, Bob and reggae Music... uh, well, I want to get into it. Bob and reggae music have mm-hmm. practically synonymous. So after you were Crown Miss World, you lived in London with Bob for a while when he was really just breaking into his international career. What do you think? Of, tell us about well, that.
1: We were in a relationship before I went off to Miss World, you know. We were in a relationship from earlier in that year when I first won Miss universe bikini and miss jamaica body beautiful beautiful.
0: how old were you then 17 and 19 no no
1: like 20 i think i became 21 in 76 when Uh i actually won Miss world just Uh before so i think i was 22 by the time i won. so we were we were already in a relationship
0: so you both were in the kingston area living i think you had left home by then
1: yeah i was living at 56 hope road i had rented a flat on the ground floor in the main house
0: next to bob's where bob was living
1: well, Bob and the, and the band used to rehearse down in the back. There was a rehearsal room down in the back of the yard.
0: So, Cindy, and tell me now, for those people who don't know, we are talking about Jamaica in the late 60s, right? Mm-hmm. Well,
1: early 70s. Early 70s. We're talking... Yeah, because remember, I won in 76. So we're You won in 76, 70 that's right,
0: 75. Right, okay, fine. So, yeah. Jamaica in the early 70s. And we're talking about Bob, who is this incredible gifted, talented uh, musician, albeit a Rastafarian mm-hmm. um, in terms of the culture, what that meant. And mm-hmm. here is this upper crust uh, white woman who is living in the middle of Kingston in a place where Bob Marley is rehearsing. What, yes. are, people, what are people thinking at that time?
1: Well, that I totally lost my mind. Um, it was com- considered completely unacceptable. You know, when you cross that invisible line in the sand, there there is a price to pay for every freedom that you claim, and that for me is is one of my mantras. Um, so, at that at that point in time, Genevieve, uptown, so-called white young women in Jamaica were not getting into relationships with Rastafarians or, nor having children with them. That was just not happening. And I have friends whose parents sat them down and said to them categorically, you know, you see what Cindy Breakspear has done? Don't you even think about it. And mm-hmm. that's what gave rise to all those songs like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and mm-hmm. Curly Locks Your Father Was a Dreadlocks and all those kinds of
0: right, right. Because the culture was now changing. It was changing. But you and I have always had honest discussions and I think we've talked about this to some extent. So here is uh, um, two cultures coming together at a time where there was tremendous social and some would say political upheaval over a a pushback on colonialism and those who were represented by the white population, the elite the moneyed crowd, the uptown crowd of which you were a representative. Uh, and Bob is singing and uh, is Canada. that. <laughs>
1: uh, exactly.
0: So, how is, he reconciling, <laughs> how is he reconciling all of that in his music, and it, personally and emotionally?
1: Well, I think that Bob was so driven and, and so compelled to be doing what he was doing, that, and, and the momentum. Remember now, you know, I really only knew Bob for the last, what would it have been, six years of his life? Yes. So, all the previous years with him growing up in Trench Town and when he used to sleep at Cox and Dodd's studio and all the things. For our I,
0: audience, I don't mean to know, so for our audience, Trench, right. Trench, Town, Trench Town is like the, the ghetto of Jamaican it is. society. It yes. is. So we yes.
1: Um, I was not part of his life in those days or, or privy to his experience then. When you hear Bonnie Whaler talk about. Um, in in the documentary, Marley, about the fact that they used to refer to Bob as half-caste and it used to upset him mm-hmm. as a little boy. The Bob I knew was so far past that.
0: He well, was... let's, tell, let's tell our audience about um, his, Bob's own background because he was also the issue of a British uh, commander yes. in the army no, and I'm a, Jamaican, yes. a, a, a yes. local Jamaican woman. Actually of no station. She was actually Absolutely. very much a resident of one of the worst ghettos in Jamaica as well. So that's but another she, story.
1: But she was a country girl from St. Anne. She moved right. to Kingston as as a young adult woman, but she grew up in the country and that is where she met Norval Marley because he used to ride up and down on his horse and inspect the land captain, they used to call him. Right. But by the time I met Bob, I mean, his music was taking off and he had... He had a a confidence and and an aura and an awareness. And he had come to a place of of being comfortable in his own skin and he was Mm. no longer bothered by that. He, He understood very clearly that this is not something that I predetermined. This is not something I have any control over. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. Right. This is who and you love.
0: Is, yeah, you know, love well, has to rise above politics. And, uh, yeah. In very interesting. And this
1: is the music that I am compelled to sing. This is what is coming out of me. This is what I'm inspired to do. This is my mission. He was very, very clear about his mission. Mm-hmm. All insecurities were gone by then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. gone he knew what he was doing what time is the flight I'm out of here you know Curious. I have a show here and I have a show there and I have and I gotta get that message out there he, he was very very clear on that single-mindedness of purpose very very clear
0: Right he would have turned 74 this past feb- February, interestingly, when this whole lockdown thing. No, 75. 75? 75. 75. yes. He would have been 75. All right. Yes. Right at the start of this global crisis. I'm telling you, girl. Isn't that interesting? What do you think his message would be? What would he be thinking about now, you know, right about now? What, do you think, what message do you think he'd have for the world?
1: Well, I don't think it would be much different than it was back then you might you might get a little bit of i told you so mm-hmm. <laughs> you might get a little bit of that and and i'm sure you're aware that his live streams have gone up by 23 percent, 27 percent,
0: right
1: ever, ever since this pandemic started so people are reaching out to his music more than ever before i and did that, not know that Interesting. yes mm-hmm. it's a fact and it's been much spoken about there have been teachers on in Rolling Stone magazine and billboard for his 75th birthday and all of that. And they're talking about what a phenomenon it is. And that, that comfort that Bob's music has always given people. Yes. Three, Three little birds is, is one of those songs that yes cannot get enough of. Enough of. Yeah. You see the sweetest little children singing it. And they want that comfort and they want that message. And It's it's an old message now, but it still rings so true. It's how
0: fantastic! I know,
1: isn't it something? Yeah, it it
0: is. It is. It is. It is. I mean,
1: in one day, I'm trying to remember what date it was, but going back a few weeks, in one day, I got a notification from London saying that people were going to be opening their doors, their balcony doors, and stepping out on their balconies at seven o'clock in the evening singing One Love. And on that same day, I got a list emailed to me by my brother in Canada, feature on USA Today, of a list of the hundred best songs to get through this pandemic listening to. And at number 14, I think it was, was Damien and Naz from Distant Relatives, Count Your Blessings.
0: Followed Incredible. by
1: followed by Bob with three little birds.
0: <laughs> three little birds. Yeah, yes, yeah. and I he just said that. to myself,
1: Now look at what, yeah, I, yeah. Have yeah, look at what yeah. I have lived to see. Look at what I've lived to see. You know? Yeah, yeah. Just just phenomenal. And you can't you can't run away from There are some signs you just can't run. You can break a red light, you know. But some signs you just cannot you run away really.
0: from. Well, uh-huh. the topic the topic is cultural diplomacy, and uh, this is a clear example. Yeah, absolutely. of Of how culture uh, is a healer and how it yeah. crosses borders. Yes. It yes. Is without limits, and it is yes. called upon at the most desperate of times. That's absolutely. when culture matters, not money, although that's important. But it's culture that you take to bed, and it's culture that gives you some soothing. Uh, a sense of feeling and Absolutely that it's okay generative. and that you get through this. Absolutely. yeah.
1: And even the young people are embracing Bob's music and mm-hmm. even the 75 years old today. I mean, uh, uh, this year, I mean, that okay. in itself yeah. is a rarity too. Right.
0: Exactly. You know? So if you're, you you're, had to, if you had to fill in the blank, uh, <laughs> you would say Bob had a blank impact on my life. What would that blank be?
1: Life changing. Really? Well, I knew it was going. I knew. I mean, we danced around each other for months. And I knew that if I made a decision to enter into a relationship with this man, that it was going to change the trajectory of my life for all time.
0: And And how? tell us a little bit about that change. Change suggests that it would have been something else. And now it's this. So what would have been what was what was thwarted and made better? Well.
1: Bob and what he stood for has become part of the fabric of my life. And having Damien carrying on that legacy is one of the things that I am most proud of and, and thrilled to have and feel so privileged to have as a part of my life. It's the reason that you're speaking with me today. Mm-hmm. And and that is never going to leave my life. It it is It is just so... It enriches my life and makes it so special in ways that I can't even explain, like what I was saying to you a while ago. Um, the, the joys that it brings, the, the developments, the interests, the, you know, there's Kaya Fest in, in Miami and there is Welcome to Jamrock Cruise and there are all these things that are born out of this culture mm-hmm. and this Rastafarianism that took over Jamaica, this red, gold and green This locks, this identity that came to young Jamaican youths at that time when they so desperately needed it. Because as you say, they were sick and tired of colonialism Mm -hmm. and they were looking for something else to identify with that felt right for them. They wanted to look in the mirror and see themselves.
0: What a powerful set of sentiments you are sharing here today. Well, absolutely, that's what it is. That's well, no wonder that it's, it's the first new religion,
1: I believe, in 200 years and the fastest growing.
0: Rastafarianism.
1: Yes, because there was a space, there was a need, there was a want, there was a hole, there was a gap. There was a gap that everything we were being taught in school as history and as religion, it just, we didn't, Jamaican people, you didn't see themselves when they look in the mirror,
0: it didn't fit. So how have things shifted culturally in Jamaica? since that time what well do you think have been I mean, material changes
1: well it's it's far more acceptable today i mean you know people when i was a girl growing up and, and you're walking home from school and you see a rasta man with his coconut cart on the other side of the road you hold your head straight and pray that him don't call to you because he's demented we don't think that anymore mm-hmm. we know differently now we we have we have professors at the university wearing locks with phds and things Mm -hmm. like that i mean Mm -hmm. you know we we've come a long way a long 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 way
0: so has that has that bled into or fed actually not only our cultural identity but our political and social identity as well
1: yes i think so
0: very interesting
1: yes who
0: are your cultural heroes other than bob
1: Well, I would think I would have to say people like Nelson Mandela. I have such tremendous admiration and respect for him. Um, Just, you know, you just look around and you see people who have really worked their whole lives trying to impact on the world, trying to do good things, people with money who realized that well what am i going to do with all this money anyway let me try and do something to benefit the rest of the yes. world let me let me try and eradicate polio or let me let me try and get a toilet built that doesn't need water to flush so that there are no children dying of diarrhea are two examples that come to mind people like that you know but bob is right up there with gandhi Bob is right up there with Mother Teresa. He's right up there with, as I said, Nelson Mandela. He's, he's up there with Martin Luther King. It is, he's so much more than just a musical icon. He's, except he's a,
0: this, He's Except he is part of the very soul of who you are. So that must be pretty well, powerful. Yes.
1: It is. Mm. It absolutely is. And I, as I say, I just give thanks for it every day. I wouldn't change a thing if I could.
0: I for the would last not few minutes. change a thing. For the last few minutes that we have for this incredible session conversation, I wanted to talk with you about just our economy and where do you think culture might be part of that one talks about the cultural economy today. And I've seen where Jamaica is looking to leverage its, its culture, because unfortunately, a lot of that has been ripped off by the rest of the world and Jamaica has not really seen any value for it. So where do you think what do you think about the notion of the cultural economy and how do you see that developing? Well, I think that artists and, and people who are involved in the industry have to
1: make every effort to educate themselves so they know what their rights are. They know what the things they need to do to protect their intellectual property. We can't have enough seminars and and webinars and all the various things that teach people what your rights are, how you go about copywriting things, what your percentages should be, how to keep track of it. Unfortunately, Genevieve, a lot of creative people are not interested in that side of it. They don't want to know. They want somebody
0: else to do that. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's well, to, find, well, that, it's to find a good manager.
0: You right. Know? It's always been the case that, you know, that artists don't know, don't yes. care about the business no. aspect of things. No. They're busy creating the art. So it's kind yes. of... It's yeah, very, very that, that
1: is really the challenge. Mm-hmm. And, and reggae is mainstream now, you know. It is, it is not the novelty. It is much loved still. And Jamaica is much recognized as the place of its origin and its birth. But it is not the novelty that it was 40 years ago when you had to come to Jamaica for Reggae Sunsplash. Now you have major reggae festivals all over the world all over the world, all through Europe, with the and you name it, all the rest of them. They're all, you can hear again, every first world city now, it's, it's big business. But artists just have to make sure they get their ducks in a row and protect their music. Who was it that won a big case the other day against, was it Miley Cyrus, used some part of his song?
0: I believe you're right. Yeah. Yes. And, uh,
1: yeah. And, uh, I can't, mm-hmm. can't remember who the copyright. artist was the copyright here now, but case. yes, somebody, he got his due out of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so people have to start getting serious about the business side of it. And that's the only way that you're really going to protect it. But it, it, it is so special. I mean, it, it's incredible to believe that this tiny little island has just
0: impacted on the world in such a... Cultural diplomacy, cultural diplomacy. And the last question I would, you know, I would put out there and ask you uh, your thoughts about is... Is there a role for cultural, the cultural economy in the, in, in the you know, solution that we're having the economic recovery from the region right now? We're talking about, we've got to look at things differently. The decimation of the tourism industry suggests yes. that it's going to be a while before the economies come back. It uh, is,
1: is going to be a while, Genevieve. And I know that the artists are more hard hit than anybody because you don't really make a lot of money off of music sales anymore. It's touring. And if people cannot gather in numbers, then how do you tour? It's going to be a while before that is restored to normalcy. But let us see. I have, I have great, 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 great hopes.
0: And of course, with the, the internet, you know, it is said, I read recently where the internet has fast forwarded in the last two, two months what yes. it would typically take 10 years to do because more people are online. So I think there's tremendous oh, opportunity when you have a... International it's, cultural it's, product to put it online and to really, but it's it not
1: there. the same experience, it is not the same experience,
0: you it's, know not the it's, same not. experience it's not
1: the same experience as a live concert. That feel good that you get when you're in the middle of a crowd of 10,000 people and you're all singing the same song, hands in the air, feeling that energy you know, that adrenaline that is moving between artist and audience and loving that. Music, on. it's just not the same experience. Believe it's me, it's not I've the tried. same
0: experience. But maybe <laughs> all that we have going oh, forward for for the, until the for vaccine comes. For while, uh, Cindy, God. it is always a remarkable. Conversation every time I sit down with you. And it is my pleasure indeed that you have been, you've shared some of your time with our listeners today. Thank you so well, very much.
1: Not at all. It is also my pleasure. And, and thank you so much for thinking of me, for including me, for giving me the opportunity to express myself. It, it is always wonderful to be remembered and included and regarded in, in such high esteem. I cannot thank you enough, my dear. My and pleasure. I keep safe, keep safe, you, your family, all your co-workers. One love, you here, to one all love, of you there. One love, same to you. Very all right, my darling, good good. good, good. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Diplomatic This Speaking, the Caribbean Foreign Affairs podcast that keeps you up to speed on the issues about the most pressing matters of our time, concerning the region, and how they connect to you. We hope you'll join us again for another exciting conversation. Please visit us online at www.diplomaticallyspeaking.com and share this podcast with others. Until next time, walk good.